Oh my gosh, Natalie, I haven't seen you forever. Uh, how are you doing? What, what are you up to right now? What are you doing for work? Oh, hi. I know I haven't seen you in like 10 years. Work's great. I'm an occupational therapist. Ser- seriously? I, I'm, I am in need of someone so much. My sister is looking for a job. Can you, can you like hook us up? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what I do, actually. Different kind of occupation. Welcome to Therapist in Motion Podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to the Therapist in Motion Podcast. Paul and Dan here, and we are joined by our colleague at Spooner, Natalie Black. Natalie, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. So Natalie is an occupational therapy therapist with our company. Do you just want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Natalie, and I work out of our Biltmore Clinic full-time. I'm an occupational therapist. I've been with the company for two years uh, this month, actually. And um, I specialize in treating hand therapy or uh, hand therapy patients, but also do pediatrics, lymphedema, EDS patients, and multiple other things, actually, really. Nice. I like it. So we're going to flip the script a little bit today, and I think Natalie has a question for Dan and I first, so we get to be put on the spot. So what do you got? Okay. So I want to know from you two, what is your definition of physical therapy? Dan's staring at me, which means he's going to make me pull something out first and see what actually happens. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you my definition because I, I I already know that you have looked up the definition and I didn't want to cheat and look it up as well. So I'm going to tell you what I think it is and I'm probably way off base, but that's okay. So I was going to the movement specialty component of things. I look at physical therapists as the group of individuals that can connect the dots for how human movement should function and how it does function and how that's going to impact function and daily activities. So our job is to, in a nutshell, try to bring people back to the highest level of function or turn them to their activities based upon understanding their human movement and their musculoskeletal system. Okay. So you're basically saying that on the whole, first and foremost, it has to do with movement, musculoskeletal system, kind of utilizing movement to I know you didn't use the word rehabilitate, but I assume that that would be part of your definition to rehabilitate somebody. I threw rehab in there. I, I'm always a little sketchy on it. The, the pure definition I agree is to rehab. I, I do think we have a need to take a look at a person and say that most injuries are not acute in nature, or at least what I see often is not acute in nature. And part of my job is not just to bring you back to your previous function, but look and say what contributed to that in the first place. So I can help try to prevent it from occurring. So I rehab you back. And then I do see that as a little bit of a performance measure, for lack of a better term, trying to go beyond where you started. So you're not just coming to see me three months later, six months later, four months later with the same thing. But I yes, I would say rehab is a, a big piece of the definition. We just need to go a little further than maybe the unfortunately insurance based definition of rehab. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So I'm going to give two definitions (laughs) one i'm going to give the definition that i think most didactic and academic curriculums would teach for the listeners out there dan would you remind everyone were you the president of the student apta in nebraska i can neither confirm nor deny that statement paul so just (laughs) 
Just throwing out there, if any of us should get this right, I'm going to put Mary pressure Mary. on Dan oh, wow. to nail wow. this one. Wow. Yep. Um, sorry, no, Jed. No I'm going to apologize as my vice president for epically failing you during this. I apologize, Jed. And all of those of you who voted for me, which I think was a whopping like 32 <laughs> to win the quorum. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to say the definition of physical therapy is to rehabilitate an individual across a spectrum of age ranges and comorbidities back to their desired, back to their prior level of activity. That includes neuromuscular, musculoskeletal, integumentary, and cardiopulmonary approaches. Now, hold on. I'm going to give my, what I think a physical therapy or physical therapist should do. And it's going to be very similar to what Paul just stated, where I believe us as physical therapists should have the knowledge and the skill set from a biomechanical standpoint to analyze human movement, whether they do or do not have symptomology to identify the root causes of their symptoms. And for us to determine an appropriate plan of care, regardless of if they need formal um, rehabilitative standpoint or if they need performance training. Fabulous. <laughs> Mic drop from Dan. <laughs> well done. Um, okay, so I'm going to read to you now what it says on the APTA website. Okay, so surprisingly, I was when I read this, I was actually really pleasantly surprised with just kind of some of the key words that they use and in the way that both of you described it. I think you'll you'll see that what you said aligns with this like a little bit better than you might've thought originally. So it says physical therapists are movement experts who improve quality of life through prescribed exercise, hands-on care and patient education. They diagnose and treat individuals of all ages from newborns to people at the end of life. Many patients have injuries, disabilities or other health conditions that need treatment, but PTs also care for people who simply want to become healthier or prevent f future problems. Physical therapists examine each person and then develop a treatment plan to improve their ability to move, reduce or manage pain, restore function, and prevent disability. And um, they help people achieve fitness goals, regain or maintain their independence, and lead active lives. What do you guys think of I that mean, definition? We got, we got a majority of the components. Yeah, movement experts, uh, quality of life across the lifespan. And they do. Like you said, they do a nice job. It seems decently progressive. You know, Way too often I feel like we define a lot of things by what we can get paid for. And we think of insurance as traditional payment. And insurance only goes to a very specific level on the rehab piece. And that definitely promoted you know, looking at taking them beyond that or preventing other issues. The things we should be trying to promote as a profession. It's really good to see that it's directly and clearly stated right there, which is awesome. Nice. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, so now the best part. I would like you guys to tell me what your definition of occupational therapy is now. So since you went first, I guess you're going to tell me that I have to go first this time. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Definition of an occupational therapist is to care for a community based on appropriate evaluation of current functional limitations across a lifespan of health to impact their overall function 
by utilizing a combination of therapeutic exercise, manual therapy, and home exercise program and education. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's that. I'm, I'm sticking with that definition. I like it. Well done, Dan. <laughs> Stealing a little bit from our previous experience. Uh, that was smart. You, you threw in some very nice, you know, the whole age spectrum. We didn't say age spectrum specifically, but kind of into things. I mean, I'm going to keep it short and simple because I, I agree with a lot of what Dan said. I think the only piece you didn't touch on that I'd say is I feel like there's a strong chance that activities of daily living makes a pretty good prevalent appearance there. I mean, obviously, PT and OT both deal so much with ADLs, but I feel like historically what I see often is OT really talking about the activity of daily living component of improving function, return to function, understanding how to function with now having a different deficit or something that has occurred over the spectrum of life, age, injury, etc. So I'm assuming that that is woven in there somewhere in addition to what Dan has stated. And I'm going to add another component. I'm certain that they're going to say function more than physical therapists because they have historically kicked our rear ends in speaking about and function. doing things relative to function and utilizing CPT codes that support that far more aggressively than our physical therapy profession has. Well, it is interesting. And we talk a lot about treating the whole person and the importance. But when you look at some of like Medicare measures and other things that we report OTs often were required to report on certain mental <coughs> components of the individual, whereas PT, we're supposed to incorporate in our primary care, which is great, but I don't see it as a mandatory reporting component. Well, I'm going to add on to that. You're spurred another thing. Natalie's like, kind she's of, like, come on, let me do my, do my move job, on with right? This is what we're talking no, about. No, this is great. I love it. Keep I'm going. also going to say that they have a higher, I'm going to say that they have a, a, a greater responsibility on the entire health of an individual. Again, if we think back to previous um, PQRS, that might be a swear word for some of our listeners, but PQRS. Dan, our listeners are young. They don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, that's about. That's true. Um, smoking cessation and uh, mental, like you said, the mental component for. So I'm going to, there's going to be something in the definition about that as well. Before I say the definition on the AOTA website, where does the word occupations fall into your definition? Yes. <laughs> I, that, that's the thing. I don't, I don't have it. Yeah. I mean, I drive everything around ADLs and not the, I guess. So what's an ADL though? What's an, or not, not what's an ADL. Let me rephrase. You know what? Never mind. Forget it. Let me just read it. <laughs> Moving okay. on. Because this is going to answer all the questions I'm trying to get it in a backward way anyways. <laughs> okay. Um, AOTA says, Occupational therapy is the only profession that helps people across the lifespan do the things they want and need to do through the therape therapeutic use of daily activities or occupations. Hmm. We'll come back to that in a moment. Occupational therapy practitioners enable people of all ages to live life to the fullest by helping them to promote health and to prevent or live better with injury, illness, or disability. Common occupational therapy interventions include helping people with disabilities participate fully in school, social, social situations, family situations, etc., helping people recover from injury to regain skills, and providing supports for older adults experiencing physical and cognitive changes. Typically, OT services include, one, an individualized evaluation during which the client and family and occupational therapist determine the person's goals. 
Two, customize intervention to improve the person's ability to perform daily activities and reach those goals. And three, an outcomes evaluation to ensure that the goals are being met and or to make changes to the intervention plan. Occupational therapy practitioners have a holistic perspective in which the focus is on adapting the environment and or task to fit the person. And the person is an integral part of the therapy team. It is an evidence-based practice practice deeply rooted in science and medicine. Well, there were definitely some components that we missed there. But after reading that definition and thinking about certain occupational therapists that I know and that I've worked with in other settings, I would say that's very fairly accurate. And thinking to some of my friends that are OTs and what they were trained in school and what the focus on their schooling was, I would say that's fairly accurate. Which is great because, I, I mean, by you saying that, being a well-practiced physical therapist, I think that shows that our education system as OTs is doing its job, right? It's, we're creating practitioners that are being a representation of what our practice framework and what our, our disciplinary board is wanting us to be. So that's great. I'm curious about your thoughts on the occupation piece because you touched on that early. Yeah. And what I heard without fully understanding where you're going to it, it – I think traditionally I think of occupation as like work, right? What's your occupation? I'm a physical therapist. What's your occupation? I'm an accountant, et cetera. Um, but it seemed like that was leaning more towards a occupation is almost in like what occupies your time throughout the day. Yeah, exactly. So that's the whole point that I was trying to get it earlier that and failed at getting it earlier. But ultimately, occupations are exactly that, like how we fill our time. What occupies you? right? Which could be anything. And um, the practice framework for AOTA talks about seven different occupations. One of them is ADLs or activities of daily living, but that's just one of the seven that we focus on. And that one happens to be kind of the most important because it has to do with your day-to-day tasks, right? Like going to the bathroom, getting dressed, feeding yourself, etc. There's also IADLs, also known as BADLs, which is instrumental activities of daily living or basic activities of daily living. And those are daily living tasks that are one step further. So for example, grocery shopping is a BADL because it's not actually feeding yourself, right? But it's a preparatory factor in that and something that people still need to be able to do to live an independent life. Then there's rest and sleep. That's one of the occupations. Play is another occupation. Leisure is another occupation. Um, What am I forgetting? Um, Education slash volunteer work. And work is another one too. So all of those together really create our perspective of the areas in which we are able to help our, our clients and our patients. So it's really awesome because what that does is provide a massive scope of practice for us, right? Because we could have a patient in any setting at any age in life and that person is filling their time somehow. So how are they filling their time and where can we meet them and walk alongside them to help them to do that better? So that's kind of what I was getting at with like the occupations piece. But in my opinion, some of the other main points of this definition from AOTA that I think are maybe different than what both of you mentioned before or something kind of unique about OT. Um, One of them has to do with utilizing occupations or daily activities as a method of intervention, right? So I want to come back to that in a minute. 
A second one is how important the task and adapt adapting the task or the environment is from our perspective as OTs. And then a third thing has to do with how holistic our perspective is as far as involving that client's family or their other important people or factors in their life into their care. Okay, so all that being said, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my team at Biltmore, uh, my Spooner team at Biltmore, all the technicians that we have, and we did kind of like a little in-service and I was asking them this question, like, okay, what's a PT? What's an OT? How are they different? Because we have this unique, amazing opportunity where Spooner has, you know, it's a PT company. It's a PT world technically. And some of us are OTs that have been kind of embedded into this outpatient physical therapy world. So what does that look like and why is that important and how can we utilize it to the best of our abilities to help our patients, right? Cause that's what it's all about. It's helping our patients. And so I was, when I was talking to the techs on my team, a lot of them were like, I have no idea. I feel like you do things differently, Natalie, like you treat differently and I can tell that you do, but I don't really know why or how or what that looks like. Right. So I could have a shoulder case. I could have a rotator cuff tear on my case and so could Dan on his case. So we could see the exact same patient and we could both do a fabulous job of helping that patient to rehabilitate, right? And get back to their um, their normal life and be pain-free and move well and etc. But the way that we get there might be super different from each other. Even if we're using the same exercises or activities. But how is that? Like what do I mean by that? And I think what I mean, and you guys can jump in and say if this makes sense or if it doesn't or kind of what your thoughts are, but Ultimately, the way that I view a patient with a rotator cuff tear, the goals that we set together, that patient and I set together, might be for like a different ultimate purpose or my vision for why I'm doing something might be different than a physical therapist's vision for why they're doing something. And ultimately, I mean, thank God Spooner is so good about educating and bringing up therapists who are super passionate about function. Right. And I don't think that that's necessarily the norm for PT all over the country and all over the world. Whereas that is the norm for OT, right? That's like function is like the biggest thing that we're taught. So anyways, let's, let's use that example that I just said, a rotator cuff tear and kind of go with it. So either one of you guys, when you have a patient on your caseload, that is, let's say they're post-op, post-op rotator cuff tear, and they're six weeks out. Um, and the doctor has asked for like early active motion protocol. What are some things that you're going to do with them initially and why? You want me to answer it, Dan? You're just, you're yeah, you saw how that I shivered when she said post-op rotator cuff. Yeah, Dan and I are both averse to post-op patients. Um, no offense to people that love the post-op people out there. So how I'm going to look at that patient, uh, if we're looking at mobility, and um, getting things active, I'm going to think about two things. One other thing, how can I help them be successful in whatever active, active-assisted motions that we're able to do that we're approved for, obviously, depending upon what rotator muscles were repaired, et cetera, without going too far into that. What can we do? What are we able to accomplish? What are we able to achieve? Well, re- re- um, respecting the integrity of the repair. 
More so, my thought is, what are all the components of motion that need to occur for this individual? So if I'm talking about an overall goal of being able to reach onto an overhead shelf or work overhead for an extended period of time, I'm going to think about, all right, what do I need for full flexion scaptions? I'm thinking about what does a T-spine do? What does a scapula do? What does a clavicle do? AC, SC, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to say, all right, how many things can I start working on now as soon as possible to give this person the best environment to be able to move once we're able to remove more and more of the precautions and the um, restrictions to their rehab protocol and get them further and further into true function, triplanar function, etc. That's my very generalized version of how I'm thinking about this patient. And because Paul has taught me so much about treating post-op rotator cuff repairs, I would do the very similar thing. And then after going through my gift fellowship last year, I'm going to go down to the pelvis and I'm going to follow the the principle and the, the, the strategy that I'm going to use the pelvis to drive the scapula, knowing that the more motion I can get through that tissue and that joint complex safely is going to help that patient in the long term have better prognostication and ability to improve and activate the way that I want to from both a local, regional, and global standpoint by utilizing other structures that are completely safe and able to move and glide that scapula. Let's say they're still in a sling so that they can still function their day-to-day life and they aren't feeling like the rest of their body becomes, for lack of a better word, gunked down due to the fact that they're in a period of immobilization. Awesome. So it's really interesting because hearing both of your answers, I would answer in a relatively similar way, but I think the way I would answer would be flipped in my, in my wordage of what comes first, right? So both of you started off biomechanically, right? And you said, oh, I'm going to look at what motions they have in a safe, safe range of motion. That's, you know, protocol that is going to provide them with, um, you know, mobility within their scapula, et cetera, et cetera, all those things that you just said. And then briefly, both of you said, so that they can, you know, reach eventually overhead into a cabinet and get a glass of water. So from my perspective, when I see that patient, it's okay. Two things. One, hi, I'm Natalie. I'm I'm your occupational therapist. We're going to work together to rehab your shoulder, right? And The shoulder is luckily a part of your body and a part of who you are as a person, mind, body, and spirit. So first of all, my primary focus point is so much more related to, I'm going to say this in a, in a term I don't necessarily love, but mental health. Okay. So mental health, their cognitive understanding of what's happening with their body via their pain response, via their day-to-day life and how that has been interrupted, right? So it's not, hey, I can't lift my shoulder very high and I'm not moving very good. It's, okay, I am a grandpa and have to be able to carry my grandkids and I'm super upset about the fact that I am wearing this sling on my arm and what can we do to make me be able to interact with them? And so my perspective automatically, I think is just because of the way that I was trained as an OT and an OT school is, Here's this person's cherished occupations, right? They have a really cherished occupation of spending time with their grandkids. So what can we do now in the here and now with where they are to help them to be able to do that safely and effectively? And then on the secondary aspect, 
how do I use movement and how do I use my skill as a practitioner and my education of biomechanics to help them to get to that point? So ultimately, I think there's a lot of overlap. Clearly, there's a lot of overlap or we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? But but I think what it comes down to is my my goals and my mindset and kind of how I see that person and then what we utilize to get to that point. And it just starts in a different location mentally. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting perspective. And I would say probably there are a handful, more than a handful of of, of physical therapists out there who that's their thought process as well, where they go mm-hmm. to success. So what I hear you saying is you're going to success orientation immediately, right? So if I, like if I put Gary Gray's term out here, he would say treat based upon success, right? First, treat based on success first, knowing and utilizing the principle of three-dimensionality that if I can impact their mind and their spirit first, that's going to impact their body, mm-hmm. right? If I can impact their sagittal and their frontal plane, that's going to impact their transverse plane, right? So you can utilize the principle of three-dimensionality, just not in the three planes of human movement, but in triadoxes of, of all sorts of different things, right? So your approach there is saying, what can we do now to help you still do the things that you enjoy from an occupation standpoint, right? You, you right. mentioned the seven occupations. I think there's a lot of therapists out there that have that physical therapists that have that approach as well. Where I they're completely gonna, agree. Where with they're going to go that route, and it's almost like the MD versus DO thought mm-hmm, process, mm-hmm. where MD thought process starts from a traditionally from a pathophysiological standpoint versus DO's traditional thought process is the holistic whole person, right? And I'm not saying that that's bad. And I don't think our training is as far off. And I'm not saying that their trainings are far off either, but I feel like there's probably a lot more similarities in how we were both educated that the more that we work together and we have these conversations, the more alike we are going to realize that we are the different, just like MDs and DOs now realize how much alike they are when they come together in residency and they're like, oh my gosh, we all really were trained in the same content. We just went about it in a different way and that's completely legitimate. Sure. And I think too, there's a lot of perceptions out there that like, for example, occupational therapists work on fine motor tasks or hands or upper extremity and physical therapists work on gross motor skills. And be that as it may, as far as a very broad, very broad overview baseline situation, in reality, just like we were saying earlier, my scope of practice doesn't stop at the hips, right? And yours doesn't stop at the elbow either. So how do we, but, but where's the separation and why is that? And so another thing that I think is super important to notice is how a lot of times I think the way that we write goals as therapists kind of gives a really good impression of our training and education and our mindset for that patient. So for example, a physical therapist might write a goal, you know, that that patient will be able to reach into a cabinet overhead for, to carry down a tray of plates or whatever. Whereas an OT might utilize that, that outcome measure as instead of an outcome measure, but as a treatment. 
Does that make sense? So we're utilizing activity. And I'm not saying that physical therapists don't do this too because they absolutely do. But I think the way that we're trained is more commonly that we as OTs are utilizing daily living tasks as a method of treatment, right? They can also be an outcome, but we can use them as treatment too. Well, you're doing a nice job too describing it. It is important to recognize that a lot of times how we're taught something, whether it's through school or mentors, et cetera, plays a huge role in how we go about doing things. And there is a fundamental difference in how we are trained, especially initially. Because I'm sure there are plenty of therapists out there that are listening to you saying, I look at the whole person. Mm-hmm. I care about their function. I care about getting them to feel successful with things. And again, as you said, no one said you didn't. <laughs> Everyone's doing that. But it is an interesting thought of saying like we so much do become biomechanical analysis of the body and then tie that into what's the function going to be? How are you feeling about this? Like, are you feeling comfortable with the plan? What else do we need to do to help you? I, I feel like sometimes it does come a little ancillary. At least that's how we're trained Tip in most schools. Whereas what I'm hearing from you is that it is a flip of that. Both groups are looking at relatively the same things, but it is a different thought process. And it's a really important thing to recognize that there isn't particularly one way to do it. And there can be massive benefits on how you go about approaching that situation that especially physical therapists that maybe work with a traditional setting that don't have like an OT in their practice or a therapist that's had a lot of influence that might not bring that exposure to them. You know, Dan, you spoke very well about Gary and some of his thoughts that I think fit very nicely into what you're saying, Natalie. But then if we look at it, there's a lot of people that don't think in that capacity and don't treat amongst that way and haven't been exposed to it. Maybe they do it in small pieces, but the intention and the purposefulness behind knowing when and how to implement it is a huge benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, there's, I mean, here's what it comes down to. I will advocate for myself and my profession until I'm blue in the face about being a movement specialist because that's what I am. And that's what all the therapists who work in this company and, you know, any other outpatient physical therapy or occupational therapy company are, right? So that, that's how we, primarily view ourselves if I was just going to say one thing about us, right? But what's really awesome is that in the outpatient setting, there's so much of an overlap that almost always my patients don't know that I'm an occupational therapist. They think I'm a physical therapist just like everybody else who's working in my clinic. And that's perfectly fine. It doesn't matter left or right to me what, what they think as long as they're, you know, healing and getting the, out of their treatment, what they need to get out of their treatment. But in another setting, like in an inpatient rehab facility, there's going to be a lot more very clear, visible differences between what an OT and what a PT are doing with a patient who's there. And so I think what's super fascinating is that there's, there's some areas where OT and PT are so different and there's some areas where we're so similar. So how do we use that to our advantage in the outpatient world, right? How do we use this this thing that we have where, yeah, we have a lot of clinics and ideally, eventually we would have every clinic to have OT and PT in the same clinic. And so what does that look like? How do you think it's beneficial for our patients? Is it ever not beneficial for our patients? What, do you, what are your guys' thoughts about how you currently utilize OT as physical therapists or maybe how you don't and how you should? Well, I think you bring up a great point about two things. One, that it is a massive myth that occupational therapists cannot treat the entire body. 
So I think that's a huge myth out there, especially in the world of physical therapy, right? Mm -hmm. And it probably comes back to what Paul said, what you were taught in school or the experience you had during a clinical rotation, right? So if your clinical, if your only experience working with an occupational therapist was in an an acute care setting, that's probably where that thought of what an occupational therapist can do comes from. And that's the only, that's the only data point that they have. They have an N of one, right? So I appreciate that you said that. And I hope our listeners take that to heart because the, the approach that you guys have is very valuable for us as physical therapists to take advantage of and leverage. And it goes back to the difference that you highlighted on where you start with the patient versus where we start with the patient, right? We still have the same goal in mind at the end, maximizing the patient's ability to do what they want to do, regardless of what that is, right? And, and I don't think anybody would probably disagree with us on that. But I'm thinking, really, for some of our therapists who have, physical therapists who have started to struggle or find their way or are struggling with the patient progression is to say, hold on, Have you thought about where they are now? Okay, maybe you have, right? Probably you have, and maybe that's why you're frustrated. Have you thought about where they want to go and how you can use that and leverage it as a current intervention, right? And so I think that that, that's a really big nugget for especially the students who listen. Shout out to Lisa, who was a founder podcast and then came to do a clinical rotation here, student at Creighton. Um, I I think that's a great thing for her and her classmates to think about, right, is is what you just said about how you guys were trained to come at and approach a patient, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, it's obviously very different than where Paul and I were. We're both Creighton grads as well. So those would probably be the two things I think are the most valuable, regardless of how you work with an occupational therapist, is to understand how they are coming about seeing that same patient. Right. And yes, seeing that same patient – But think about this. How valuable is it to you when you have another physical therapist look at a patient that you're treating? Same thing. So amazingly valuable, right? You have another set of eyes. They're going to notice things that you haven't. They're going to think, you know, things that you might think are of a primary concern. They're going to be like, "Uh, I don't think that that actually we need to worry about that because did you notice the tremor in their left foot or whatever? Right. And so this having an OT set of eyes on somebody is like, in my opinion, that times 10, right? Because now we're seeing the patient from with another, from another therapist set of eyes and with a different training and a different mindset and kind of overview of like different diagnoses that we may be more or less similar with, um, different thought patterns that we might have about progression of, you know, movement over the lifespan, et cetera. So I think it's super valuable for physical therapists and occupational therapists to get both of their set of eyes on every patient. I mean, almost every single patient I have at some point or another, I utilize a colleague, one of the PTs in my clinic to look at them with me or do a co-treat or, you know, ask, can I, can you watch them walk across the clinic and tell me if there's anything that I'm missing, et cetera. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, so, you know, as you and Dan are talking, I'm sitting here just kind of thinking like, all right, I'm, I'm starting my own therapy company. I'm trying to create like the ultimate Wait, therapy. you team. are? Yeah, right now it's happening. <laughs> Bye, Tim. Peace out. Um, just kidding. Don't even joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
hypothetically, I'm creating my own therapy company. I'm trying to think like, all right, like what's my, what's my, like my, my ultimate team look like? And I'm a huge fan of, I don't want anyone to have one single skill set of treating, but to make this simple, let's go across the people that focus on a singular area. Like I want my AFS fellow. I want my um, person who's gone through the IPA fellowship. I want my individual who's gone through myopain seminars just because I, I love Jeff Fucre's thought process and his brain. He might be such a freak. It doesn't count, but who cares? I'm going to give him credit for developing that thing <laughs> well, anyway. Shout out to Jeff Fucre. I, I love Jeff. He's a wow. great guy. I love him. <laughs> I don't know if he's ever going to listen to this, but at least he's got Probably not. Well, now but we're we going to have to tell him out. too. You know, someone who's gone through like the osteopractor component of things, or spinal manipulation institute, like I want a wide variety and diverse thought process for exactly what you said. Like I think back to my own learning the most development I did wasn't like a course I took that was amazing. It was quite honestly having Dan and Sarah in my clinic and Carrie and everyone else that I've worked with over the years. And we all learn from each other. And so much of the value comes from different philosophies, different mindsets, even though we're all physical therapists, having different trainings, thoughts, experiences, etc. So it only makes complete and utter sense to say, how wide of a net can I possibly cast in diversity? And the more I do that, the better I'm going to be able to learn and take care of my patients. What you're saying is I something I completely agree with. Like, let's take additional things. And how can you do with a group that OT and PT, like you said, so much overlap, but yet different bases, different baselines, different thought processes is going to get great benefit. And then we, I love when you said, you know, you're always asking your PTs and I certainly hope the PTs are always asking you what you see. So, cause at the end of the day, we're ultimately going to help the patient best with the more thoughts and ideas and eyes and brains we get on them, especially if they differ from ours in the way they go about things. That's going to create the ultimate patient experience for lack of a better term. Yeah. Not to open a can of worms, but even taking into consideration insurance, right? Like so many patients have separate visit counts for OT and PT. And so, oh my gosh, how, what an awesome opportunity that we have to have the availability in the same location for a patient to have twice the amount of care. Right. And so, and I think that that is something that gets overlooked too sometimes like, oh, they don't have a hand injury, so they can't see the OT, but it's like, no, if you're working with this patient, who's, you know, you're working on balance or just global weakness or whatever it is. Maybe they came in originally as a knee patient, but yeah, you found some um, motor planning challenges or some musculoskeletal dysfunction in their back or their thoracic spine or whatever. How, like, it's so awesome that we have the ability to have an OT from our company take a look at them too and do treatments with them too because guess what? They're going to get so much more out of that and they're going to get so many more other like perspectives and ideas and everything like that. So ultimately I just think we have such a huge net, like you just said, like a net that we can cast where we should utilize it. You know, we should utilize, I, like I try to utilize PTs and I know the therapists who I work with really work hard to utilize me too. So I think it's, just a huge opportunity that we have. And I want to make sure that everybody, everybody out there listening, students, current therapists, other people who aren't therapists, whatever, um, just have an understanding of what a awesome gift it is that we have OT and PT and how we overlap and how we're different and that both of those are equally as important. I have a, I have a question for you. So, you know, you, you talked before about how oftentimes 
patients come in and they don't know that you're not a physical therapist. They just expect mm-hmm. it because they've been referred probably to physical therapy or often what we're known as splinter physical therapy. So what is your recommendation for either the OTs out there that work in an outpatient setting similar to this to promote themselves or how can the physical therapists out there that maybe haven't seen or thought of the differences, how can they help promote the differentiation between our, our different specialties and professions, but appreciate the fact that there is a lot of interplay between the two. Well, I think first of all, educating themselves about the differences between the two, right? And that really starts, if you want to look at it as a whole, that really starts in our classrooms and our education, right? In In grad school, like it would have been so helpful for me when I was in school from the start to have, you know, a better understanding of physical therapy and where the overlap was between us within any setting that we were going to work in in the future. And even more so on the flip side, right? Because most people know what physical therapy is on a very baseline level. Most people don't know what occupational therapy is on a very baseline level. So I think that like advocating for our profession as OTs by doing things like this, right? Telling the other physical physical therapists and other people within the community, hey, you know, I'm actually an OT and here's how that's different and here's why that's good for you and here's how it's the same and here's why that's good for you. So I think like just getting an education and and being open and excited about and willing to understand what occupational therapy is from a deeper perspective so that physical therapists can speak to it too, right? Hey, yeah, they, they're going to work with you more on your like you said earlier, your daily living tasks, but just kind of come at it from a different perspective with you. I think that there's certain listeners out here that would love the fact that you just highlighted interprofessional education, especially those of them who participate in academics in any way, shape, or form. And being on the advisory portion of bringing Creighton University to Phoenix, that is one of the huge highlights and the benefit to having a MD, nurse practitioner, PA, OT, PT, all in the same building mm-hmm. is that interprofessional education is something that will occur. And it's been proven time and time again in research that when you start interprofessional education early in their career and have a better understanding of what each profession does, that puts the most important factor of the patient success in the middle and that patient success gets exponentially larger because of the fact that each professional knows what other profession what the other professional can do for that person in the middle. Absolutely. Yeah, I think actually I went I went to Midwestern and they pushed that a lot the interprofessional curriculum and education and work and that was one of the main things that I got out of my education. And one of the main things that I really loved was that I had a class where I had speech therapists and PTs and MDs and, you know, podiatrists and dentists. And we were all in the same room learning about each other, having case studies and going around and saying, Hey, here's how I would approach this. Here's how we could all work together for this patient. And you're right. I think the more that we can make that happen and the more that we can push for that importance, the better, because at the time, I didn't know how important that was. You know, I thought it was really awesome. I thought it was cool that I was learning about all of these different professions. But now it's like when I have a relationship with a with a surgeon or when I have a relationship with a primary care doctor or a pediatrician or whatever, 
then when I have a better understanding of what they can offer my client and they have a better understanding of what I can offer that patient, then that that's exactly what it does is it puts the patient in the middle, which is the whole point, right? And what we want to do. I love it. Well, Natalie, thank you so much. I, I know I personally feel a lot more equipped, a lot more well equipped to not just speak to the differences, but more importantly, utilize uh, my colleagues more appropriately and really, again, help drive the best outcomes we can. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and anything, any final thought you'd like to leave listeners with before we head out? I would just say that look into it, be, in, be educated and well-informed about occupational therapy and occupational therapists out there be more educated and well-informed about physical therapy and the push for function that they can have too. the patient should be like the primary, the primary factor and the primary driver and the, their recovery is, or their either habilitation or rehabilitation, however you want to look at it should be in the center of it. And so I think if we work together and really utilize each other more, then we're just going to have better patient outcomes and better experiences for people. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And as always, listeners, if you have any thoughts or comments, reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thank you. And hopefully you'll be listening to us again soon. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 